0: You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. There are certain people that you can typically identify in a crowd. Um, One of those might be the parent of a newborn. got any of those in here? We do. We have some. And they would say amen right now, but they don't have the energy. Uh, When you're the parent of the newborn, you feel like you've just been launched out of a tornado or something, and man, it's it's rough. But you know who else I have learned to identify is the parent of the kid who they just volunteered to coach, specifically maybe four or five-year-old sports, specifically The four or five year old newbie soccer coach. Oh my! I did this once. Um, For those of you, maybe it's been a while or whatever. I don't know if you have watched four or five year old soccer, but have you ever seen a gnat farm? Like when you go outside in the summer and you see all the gnats and they're like somehow like staying together. That's what four or five year old soccer is like. It's like the the ball's a puppy, and everybody's just going after the puppy, and so um, thankfully I coached five-year-old soccer with a guy that I got to be really good friends with. And we coached for several years. We coached baseball for several years after this. But after, after looking back, I, I kind of began sharing with other people who would go through this after me, Hey, you got to think big picture. So if you're coaching like five-year-old soccer, if you're showing up at the field, thinking about a W today, I'm getting, we're getting a win. You're crazy. Like, you've got to think much more long-term, big picture than this. And so I share with people, you really ought to go into this maybe having just a couple of objectives. For instance, objective one, if by the end of the season you have taught your entire team, we all need to go the same direction, that's great, okay? Objective one, everybody's going the same way. You may need to step onto the field right before it starts, huddle them up and remind them that's our goal, not that one. So we're all going that way. Next half, you're going to have to do it again, but reverse. But so goal one, we're all going the same way. Goal two, and again, some of you who are detached from this, you're going to be like, really, that's a goal? Goal two is do not leave the field during the game, okay? And and, and again, I know some of you are like, really, that's important? Oh, you just wouldn't even believe. So I put you in, don't come out unless I tell you to come out. You wouldn't believe all the things that could cause leaving the field, but until the game's over, stay on the field. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Titus about what's going on in the church there in Crete and he's telling him there are some things that you need to attend to. And in this letter, this is what Paul's communicating to Titus. He's giving special instructions to certain groups of disciples within the church and in doing that, he's saying, Paul, remind everyone, we've got to be going the same direction. We're all on mission, we're on it together, we're all moving the same way. And hey, also, don't leave the field until the game's over. Don't check out. Don't come off of the field. Don't remove yourself from the game until it's over. And we're going to touch this morning on what Paul says to these specific groups of people. But it's going to be in the context of the overarching message that Paul is sending to the entire church, which is this. Gospel belief is always tied, it's inseparably tied to gospel behavior. What we believe about Jesus is always going to affect how we live. If you will take your Bible and open with me to Titus, which in the New Testament you got first, second, first and second Timothy and then bang, Titus. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. But look with me in Titus chapter 1, and if you remember, um, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Paul opening this letter by saying, Titus, remember, in leading the church, I have called you to appoint elders. Here are what these men ought to look like, what their lives ought to look like. Last week, Chad walked us into the next part of the letter, where Paul said there are going to be temptations and opportunities for false doctrine, for wrong teaching to come up from within the church, not from outside it, but from within it. And you've got to guard and protect against this. Now look at what he says in chapter 1 verse 16 in talking about the people who would teach or influence this false teaching. He says they profess to know God but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So false teachers, their behavior does not match the confession, the proclamation of the church. Don't allow this to happen. But now look, Paul turns a corner here. Chapter two, verse one, he says this, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. If you've ever thought, what's the big deal with theology? That, you know, that's for seminary or stuffy people. Um, why should I care about doctrine, theology? If all we had was this one verse, this would be enough to tell you why you need to care. What you know and what you think and what you believe about God will affect and determine the way that you live. Paul says to Timothy, as for you, teach sound doctrine. False teachers will raise up. They will teach things that may look and sound like the truth, but they are not the truth. Titus, you better care about the truth. Teach sound doctrine. Raise up sound, healthy disciples. Raise up healthy Christ followers. So this is a good point to point out this truth. Healthy doctrine is the normal diet of healthy disciples. Healthy doctrine is the normal diet of healthy disciples. Again, what we believe, what we are taking in Um, determines, influences how we behave and how we live. Now, if you find a group of healthy disciples, do you know what you have found? You have found the beginning of, if not the, church. You find a group of healthy disciples, you'll find a healthy church. Now, that being said, I think it's important to understand a healthy church just for the sake of a healthy church is not the goal, but so that the healthy church might be a faithful witness in a world and to a world that needs to hear and understand the hope of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So gospel living, gospel behavior, if healthy doctrine determines healthy behavior and healthy living, that gospel living leads to a gospel witness. Now, another important thing here to grab, though. Healthy things grow, but growth in and of itself is not our aim either. Um, If it is, unhealthy things will be permitted. Let me make sure we're all grabbing this. Growth just for the sake of growth, is never, never the goal. Let me ask you a question. Don't cancerous tumors grow? Yes, they do. Weeds, if any of you are trying to grow a garden, weeds, weeds grow, but tumors and weeds and other things, their growth actually inhibits health, okay? God's primary concern is always for spiritual health over numerical visible growth there are times that we begin judging things based on what our eyes see oh hey there aren't more people here than there were uh, you know two weeks ago or or whatever the case may be our eyes lie to us because growth is not the aim health is so If health and all its fruit emerges, you'll have growth. Health's always the goal. So, to talk just a a little bit more about this whole thing with health versus growth, make sure we're all understanding it. You guys have heard the term before you are what you eat. Um, You know that this is not literally true. Uh, If it was, some of you would have just passed by the donuts out there earlier rather than stopping. But we understand that what we take in begins to shape, affect, I was gonna say infect, that's probably the truth. What we take in, it begins to impact how we develop what's going on within us. It it has uh, effect on us. And at least like once a year or so, a big portion of us, we we kind of like start to live like we think this way. January one hits, you know, 75% of the population goes on a diet. Gym memberships explode. But let's talk for a second about this word, diet. There are more diets out there than we could list. There are diets out there that I literally have as much trouble as understanding algebra of understanding, what, it, what, it, what is this again? Like I have friends that have done the paleo diet. I still, I don't understand what you can eat, what you can't eat. I have friends right now who are doing the whole 30 diet. Have you heard of the whole 30? Like you can eat meat, um, nuts, fruits, vegetables, but you can't have preservatives. You can't have sugar. You can't have, uh, and, and like your food can only have, not have that in it. It like can't be in the same room with those things or something, um, you've probably seen a person on the Whole30 diet when you've gone to a restaurant and the person in front of you is like, can you tell me how the chicken is cooked? And, you know, the poor teenager at the counter is like, on a grill? Um, What's in it? Is there spices in it? Yeah. What, do you know what kind? Spicy spices? I, I don't know. I mean, you, you've got to know all this stuff about where your meat's been and, and so on and so forth. And there's, again, paleo. There's, there's plexus. There's slim fast shakes. There's Nutrisystem. I'll order my meals and they'll, they'll prepare them and I'll just shove them in the microwave. Uh, on and on and on. The Adkins diet. If there's ever a diet I might could do, that's that one. Uh, I just eat bacon. Um, and... <laughs> But you know what all of these diets have in common? Every one of them. Here's what they have in common. They are completely pointless and meaningless the instant that you stop them and go back to normal eating. All of them. Like you, you come up with a way to sit down and convince me in all logic and practicality that it's a healthy thing, To substitute food that God has put on this earth with drinking shakes all day long. and And there are all kinds of things that we could tear apart in this, but here's the thing. You know what we do? We make unhealthy choices in an effort to get healthy, it's bonkers. We will make really unhealthy choices. Because we're trying, we think, to get healthy. And do you know why we do this? We do this because we want to get healthy fast. It doesn't work that way. If it took me five years to become lethargic, not care, and get unhealthy, I can't convince myself that in five weeks, by only eating bacon, I'm going to get healthy. Now, can I lose weight? Probably. Probably. But then you know what happens the instant I, I start eating like I'm supposed to? I'll gain that right back. Because there's a difference in just losing weight and health. And the reason why we make unhealthy choices to try and get healthy is because we want it to happen instantly. But friends, healthy takes time. We don't like that. So now understand why at times we find ourselves in conflict with the way that God has ordered that we do things. Healthy doctrine is the normal diet of healthy disciples. Growing healthy disciples, you know what it takes? Time. Lots of time. Lots of energy. Lots of investment. Growing healthy disciples takes time. Therefore, growing a healthy church takes time. And Paul writes this letter to Titus and says, Titus, I am imploring you, it is worth the time. It's worth it. So let's look at what Paul says to these specific groups of people in the church. First, Paul addresses the older men. He says, Titus, the older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. What does he mean here? Paul is saying that men who are not just seeking maturity, but men who are mature because they're seeking godliness, these men will be sober minded, they will be clear headed. They will be temperate. They won't be given over to anger. They will not be controlled by their emotions. They'll be sober-minded. They'll be dignified. What does dignified mean? Like they wear a tweed coat and, you know, smoke a cigar and read books? No. It means that that man would be honorable not only in what he says and in how he lives, but even in how he thinks, This is a level of integrity. He'll be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. And understanding the fruits of the Spirit, we understand Paul to be saying here that this is a man who will be controlled more than anything else by the Spirit of God. But then Paul says that what enables that behavior what enables the behavior expected of the older spiritually mature men is that they are sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. In faith means that there's a relationship, a personal relationship with God going on there. Sound in love means there's a personal relationship with others going on there. Steadfastness means that in that relationship with God and in that relationship with others, I will endure and I will persevere whatever comes our way for the sake of those relationship. And that's the character in the life that ought to be lived by those men. Now Paul moves to the older women. Verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine, They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women. Greek Christians would have understood Paul to be saying that a mature Christian woman doesn't just model this like watch me from a distance, but mentors this, mentors a younger woman to walk in holiness. I don't know if you've ever been to a fashion show. I have not. It's not on my radar either. Don't really care about that kind of a thing. But if you've seen that on TV, what does a model do? A model puts on something and walks down the runway as if to say, you should wear this. And then they walk away. A mentor would say, hey, let me explain why that shirt looks good with those pants. A mentor, a model is just going to walk from a distance and say, look, but a mentor comes into the dirt of your life and says, let me show, let me explain, let me teach, let me train. If ever we could miss the forest for the trees, it's in Titus 2. And here's why. Why? Paul is writing and he's speaking through Titus to specific groups of people within the church, giving these very specific instructions. And so we could get lost in all of that and miss that there is this unifying principle and pattern being set forth for the entire church. Now remember, let's go back to soccer, five-year-old soccer. What's goal number one? Hey, everybody, we are all going the same direction. Same thing that we need to learn in the church. We are on mission together for the gospel. Um, We are on mission together, moving the same directions to make disciples. That's goal one. So now go back with me for a minute here. Verse 3, Paul says, They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Paul has spoken to the older men and then to the older women about the younger women and now he's coming back to the older men to speak about the younger men and now he talks straight to Titus. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And then he says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. The very specific reason that Paul gives Titus to teach the older women is that they are to teach and train the younger women. Now, it's not, the language doesn't sound out or spell this out in English, but Paul is mandating that the older men not only be walking in this character in their own life, but that they be passing it on to the men who are coming behind him, them. As I said, there's, there's this unifying, overarching principle and pattern that Paul's setting forth for the entire church in everything that he's saying here, and this is it. The ownership of discipleship falls on the membership. Lots of ships in there. Don't confuse them. The ownership of making disciples, do you know who it belongs to? Every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ and part of the body of Christ. Now, let me explain this a little further. Discipleship is a membership membership issue. Okay. Discipleship is not just this issue for pastors and elders to deal with. Now it is something that pastors and elders deal with, but the ownership of discipleship, the ownership of the the maturation of the body for all of us coming together and growing up in the faith, this is a collective issue for the entire church. Turn with me for a moment to Ephesians chapter 4. If you were here last week, you may recognize and remember, Chad was in these scriptures as well. There's a reason for this. There's a lot of parallel with what Paul writes to the Ephesians and what he writes to Titus. But look in Ephesians 4 verse 11. Paul says that God gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood until we all reach full maturity and and what would that look like Paul says to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and why is this so vital so that we may no longer be like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And folks, there are thousands of winds of doctrines blowing through the air today. And they're not all blowing you in the right direction. The ownership for discipleship falls on all of us and therefore all of us need sound healthy doctrine. Now, turn with me for a moment to Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew 13, Jesus is doing a lot of talking about the kingdom of God. And you know, he talked a lot about the kingdom of God in parables. And Jesus says in Matthew 13, Forty-four. He's talking to his disciples, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Awesome. Hidden in a field. Close your eyes for a minute. Close your eyes. Find a field. And there's this man, and he's got a shovel, and... I don't know why he has this hunch. There's something good in this field. And he starts digging and digging and digging and digging and digging and hits something. And keeps digging and he digs it up and he pulls it out and he opens it. And oh my, it is the treasure he has always been looking for. And Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found. But then you know what he did? He stuck it. Stuck it back in the ground and he covered it back up. You can open your eyes now. Come on back. He covered it back up and then he went and he sold everything that he had and he bought that field. Why did he do that? Because he knew everything I need is right here. Jesus keeps going. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl, of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. That's great and all. What on earth does this have to do with Titus chapter 2 and healthy doctrine and making disciples? Well, let me tell you. There are mature men and women. There are godly men and women among us. Many of you right now are looking at me who you have found the treasure. There are many of you in this room right now, and I'm not saying you still don't deal with sin and temptation, but there are many of you in this room right now that you have realized there's nothing that compares to the kingdom of God. And when we sing uh, Jesus is better, you sing it with everything in your being because you know I've looked, I've searched, I've grabbed. Nothing is better. Jesus is all I need. There are some of you who you have found the pearl of great value. And you have the wisdom and the perspective and the experience from years of pursuing God and his kingdom. And that treasure and the, that pearl, it needs to be passed on. And and there are others among us here that uh, you may be a follower of Christ, but maybe it's been a short time and you're still honestly through your experience and through searching and and the scriptures and everything else, you still keep running to these other things and realizing, oh yeah, I thought that was gonna be great and I needed Jesus and that, but uh, here I am again. You desperately need someone to come alongside you And say, hey, let me show you where the real treasure is. Why is this relevant? Well, see, if you're running with a crowd of people, and let me be more specific. If your true fellowship in the body of Christ is basically all with people who are all your age, dressed like you, smell like you, spend money on the same things you do, watch the same shows, and on and on and on. It's possible that you're walking past and even stepping over people with treasure. But now, from the other side of it, there are others among us here that if Our fellowship within the body is really just with people who are all our own age that look like us and dress like us and smell like us and spend money on the same things we do and watch the same shows and eat at the same places and on and on and on. It's possible that we're hoarding the treasure. When Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God, and when Paul writes of making disciples of that kingdom, there is one thing that I can tell you we know for certain, and it is this, the kingdom of God is not to be hoarded. It's not. God does not desire that I know him, that I can just sit in my house, my living room, and be like, awesome, me and you, God. God. No, God's kind of going, no, Brian, me and you and all those. The least of these. The lost. The young in their faith. Some of us, I think, that are in possession of the pearls, we got our clam shut real tight. I found it. I don't want to lose it. You can't lose it. The kingdom of God's not going anywhere except. Advancing, but some of us we, we've we've got our hands on, it, and I don't know if if we're underestimating and undervaluing like what we have to offer to those coming behind us, and in other cases maybe it's possible that we're overestimating what we've already given. Um, I don't want to give everybody a free pass in here this morning, but I, I will say. I haven't heard this or seen this at the brook very often. However, in my lifetime, I know that I've heard this and I've seen this plenty of times before. I've heard people often say things like, you know, I served in the nursery for 15 years. It's somebody else's turn. And they have this face I'm making right now. I I was a youth worker for 20 years. It's somebody else's turn you guys do realize that this isn't your kid's school. This is God's church. And we're not talking about the PTA or anything like that. We're talking about the the calling on our lives as followers of Christ. And if you look at 2 Timothy, the last letter that we know Paul wrote, Do you remember what Paul says? He's getting near the end of that letter. And Paul knows, we don't know. Was it going to be days later? Was it going to be weeks later that Paul was going to be executed? We don't know. But Paul knew that his death was imminent. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. And he writes to Timothy and he says to Timothy, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. And then you remember what he says? I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Do you remember what goal two is? Don't leave the field until the game's over. Don't tap out early. First of all, because there's someone who your investment, God's gonna use it to impact their life, but also understand what God is doing in you when you are being used by him and for him. Don't check out early. Don't leave the field. Finish the race. Show the next generation what it looks like to walk with the Lord. Friends, the man and the woman walking, as Paul says here, in sound faith, in love, in steadfastness, lives a life seeking to teach what is good and to train those younger than them. The godly are always making disciples. Paul's goal in this letter is not maturity. You know, I've seen 13-year-old boys with five o'clock shadows, full beard. Does that mean they're mature? No, it means they're starting to grow. My 13-year-old son's hands and feet are now bigger than mine. What is that about? Paul's goal is not just maturity, it's godliness. Because where there is maturity, there's not necessarily godliness, but where there is godliness, there will be maturity. The godly are always making disciples. Friends, as I said earlier, healthy doctrine is the normal diet of healthy disciples. But I believe that hoarded doctrine is the diet of gluttonous religious people. And I just want to say emphatically to you this morning, that's not us. We're not going there. The gospel of Jesus Christ is here to not only change and transform my life, but so other lives might be transformed through what God does in and through mine. Find a group of healthy disciples and you will find a healthy church. Find a group of healthy disciples and you will find a group of people who are daily asking the question, Lord, what's the next step for me today in following you? Lord, what would you have me do? And, you know, maybe you're here and you're 55, 65, 70, and you're going, Brian, let's just be honest. Do you honestly think I have something to offer a (laughs) 15-year-old? Maybe not, but I will tell you, you probably have something to offer their parents. See, the 65-year-old has definitely got something to offer the 45-year-old. And the 45-year-old has definitely something to offer the 25 and 30-year-old. And you know, nobody can impact the life of a 15-year-old like a 25-year-old. Do you see how that works? Just turn around and I, I, I implore you and assure you God has placed someone in your life inside the church and out where he has said, here is an eternal opportunity for you to invest in the kingdom of God in one life, one life. I want to close this morning going back into Ephesians. The ownership of discipleship, it falls on all of us. in love. Healthy doctrine, healthy disciples, healthy church. Let's pray together. Lord, as your people this morning, we pray that you would give us such a hunger and a desire to know you, God. Lord, that you would give us a hunger and thirst for your word. And Lord, through the power of your spirit, you would not only teach us, but Lord, you would empty us of ourselves. You would fill us with you. You would transform the way we think the way we speak, the way we act, the way we live. Lord Jesus, would you give us your vision? Lord, through your command, through your call, through your mandate to go and make disciples, would you open our eyes and our hearts? Lord, to the opportunity and the the eternal privilege to invest in the next generation, Lord, in in the future of the church to advance your kingdom. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who maybe they are are weary. God, I just pray that they would hear you, whether it's whispering or shouting. God, that they would hear your spirit proclaiming, Do not grow weary in doing good. Lord, that they would hear you beckoning, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened and broken, and I will give you rest. Lord, we thank you for the privilege today that we are a part of the body of Christ. In just a moment, we're gonna respond to the Lord um, in song and prayer, but we're also going to do that this morning through communion. I wanna remind you, when we take communion, when we take the Lord's Supper, we do this because Jesus, the night before he died, took the bread and broke it and said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood. This, this is always going to remind you that my blood was spilled on your behalf. And so when we take the bread and we take the cup, as followers of Christ, we remember that Jesus' life was not taken from him, that he willingly laid it down, and that he was broken and beaten and crucified on our behalf. And we take that cup and we remember that the blood covers a multitude of sins. And we remember that Jesus' last words on that cross before he died were, it is finished. It's accomplished. And because of that, you and I have rest, we have peace, we have hope, we have life. So whether you come alone um, with a friend, with your family, I encourage you, take the bread, take the cup, And remember, Lord, in these moments, through reflecting on who you are and what you've done, through our song, through our prayer, and we walk out the door today, Lord, through our lives, will you be honored and glorified We invite you when you're ready to come and and take of the bread and the cup. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.